I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And away we go. Welcome in, everybody. As always, it is great to be with you. A little Monday rundown for you. Husker Online. Don't forget. Let's get it going. Get it popping. Like, subscribe, and sign up for Husker Online. Hey, Sean, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Jeff. Uh, appreciate uh, the chance to talk. Uh, it was a rough weekend in uh, West Lafayette, but uh, we're back and on a bye week now. Yeah. You know what would make it fun is if we just talked about Trey Palmer. Like if you want, you and I could talk for an hour uh, about Trey Palmer and uh, he's really fast. People can't cover him. The numbers are getting better and better. Those numbers were outlandish in that game. Um, If you could have gotten some stops, my man, I I think you you pulled the upset. Yeah, they were really honestly, Jeff, one stop away, in my opinion, (laughs) from uh, getting the upset. I mean, they they uh, had a, a critical fourth down and a third down on Purdue's final possession uh, fourth and one and a third and 11. And, you know, it felt like if Nebraska got the stop there, forced the punt, uh, they were going to win the game. And, you know, they Purdue for as good as they played, they had no answer for Mark Whipple, Trey Palmer and Nebraska in the second half of that game. Um, you know, you go back to the final possession before halftime, Nebraska scored touchdowns or field goals on five out of seven of the final possessions they had. The other one was a punt then they had the one interception, and that was a bad interception. Uh, Casey Thompson also did miss a touchdown pass. Oh, yeah. That they had to settle for three. Um, so th- those were moments you'd like to have back. Other- otherwise, we're probably sitting here talking about a win. It's a miracle to think that way, too, Sean, and the fact that uh, Purdue, I think I read this uh, on Sunday morning when I was going through my rundowns. Uh, I think they ran 101 plays to Nebraska's 52 or something. I mean, that is rather remarkable to think of a number like that. Um, that, that uh, that's usually not a close game, but there it was because it was all the big plays for Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska, um, the home run element that they had in that game, um, you know, just with Trey Palmer – it made up for a lot of their deficiencies. And, you know, the, the way that game played out, I, I just don't think anybody could have expected Nebraska still to be in this game uh, with the number of deficiencies they were showing um, on defense, um, really with no running game again, um, two weeks in a row that Anthony Grant was bottled up for nothing. Um, you know, when you go back to those games, uh, the Nebraska played at, at Rutgers and in this game, um, you know, so it, it, they had to get creative and, you know, I give Mark Whipple credit. He figured out ways, um, you know, just to, to make it work. You know, like he figured out ways, um, you know, to, to, to get points on the board and, and, and really make a go of things. Well, I wonder now, you know, I'm kind of curious, Sean, as we move forward, what's Nebraska? You get the bye week. You're right. And let's talk a little bit about the relative health. What can be accomplished in this bye week? 
two things I think about. Look, I don't know that the offensive line is going to get that much better, but defensively, 600-plus yards of offense for Purdue. I got to imagine that Coach Bush is just beside himself. Like, what can be done at this point for the defense? Because you come out of this bye week with five really big game but tough games. Yeah, you think about, okay, let's let's go through the running backs the next four weeks. Oh, buddy, I've already looked at them. They're all good. <laughs> Chase Brown, Illinois, nation's leading rusher. Then you have Mo Ibrahim, yeah. the 2020 Big Ten leading rusher, who is as good as any back in the league when he's healthy. And then you, you go on to Michigan the next week. <laughs> and they rush for 400 yards on Penn State with Blake Corum, um, who's an NFL running back. And then the the game after that, you have Braylon Allen. Um, you know, and it's crazy to say that he's probably the fourth best of that bunch because in a lot of leagues, Braylon Allen might be the best running back. And right. he's probably the fourth right now. And, and Nebraska's going to see him all. And, you know, Travion Henderson at Ohio State's in that conversation as well. There's a lot of really good backs. You'll be hard pressed to find a league with better running backs than the Big Ten. And Nebraska's going to see almost all of them in four consecutive weeks against a defense that they haven't really stopped anybody. Um, like this and you know it was really alarming when you go back to this game against Purdue how well the Boilermakers ran the ball against Nebraska um, you know they, they they were going at him with Trent Mockabee who is a walk-on guy that you know really was not a guy recruited to Purdue to be a almost a 200 yard rusher in a Big Ten football game and you know give Jeff Brom credit you know he draws up great plays great schemes great concepts and he attacked what he thought were weak spots in Nebraska's defense. And he thought the edge players were going to over-pursue and go after guys, and, and they did. And it allowed for Maccabee, I think, a lot of times to really hit the edge and get some nice runs on Saturday. 5.9 yards per carry, Sean. That is a tough thing to try to overcome uh, for Maccabee, who, uh, who had himself a night of 178 yards, as you noted. I, I think the thing that comes stands out there that frustrated me watching this game was that I, I didn't think we would see that element because there was nothing statistically going into the game that suggested Purdue would do that. They were ranked in the hundreds in rushing coming into this game. And so I think that's disappointing. Obviously, that's tough to stomach, and, and that has to get shirt up before you go on this stretch. And I just wonder what they'll do to adjust because as you just correctly noted, that's a murderer's row of running backs. They're all better than the guy that just went for 178. Well, I think you're going to have your, the level of focus for these games will be, I mean, just as higher, higher, but you know who you're going to be seeing um, with these running backs or let's be honest. I don't know if they gave Trent Mockaby much respect and that probably reflected in how they played. I mean, they weren't expecting this guy to do this and, I'm guessing they weren't expecting Jeff Brom to commit to, to Maccabee right. at the level that they did. But when it's working, when it's broke, when it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, they were like, God, if they're going to keep giving us these little seven, eight yard edge runs the entire game, we're going to keep taking them. And they just took them. And it wasn't like there were like 40 yard, 30 yard runs. It was just a lot of four to eight yard runs all throughout the game where the third downs were just never really winnable. And when they did get to these winnable third downs, that's where Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones um, just kind of took over. And, you know, six-year senior quarterback, six-year senior receiver. It was kind of a matchup of the brains and the X's and O's of Jeff Rahm and Aiden O'Connell versus Nebraska's transfer portal guys. And, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you saw Trey Palmer and Casey Thompson, and uh, those guys kind of try to do their thing. And it almost worked. But, you know, the consistency of Jeff Rahm and what they do uh, won in the end.
I went to ask you uh, the health of Casey Thompson. I know he's dealing with shoulder issues, and you know that's not new. Um, I guess give us an update on what you know post-Purdue. Guys get a chance to heal up now. That is a great thing about this buy. Uh, and, and, and obviously, this Nebraska could look a little bit different if everybody's healed up. But what, what is the status of some of the guys that have had these nicks and bruises and or outright missed this game? Yeah, Casey Thompson's taken a lot of shots. I mean, I think yeah. we all can agree that he's taken a lot of hits this season uh, for Nebraska. And um, each one of these games coming up, they're going to play some of the best defenses. In fact, um, Minnesota, uh, Illinois, and Michigan are top 10 units in the country right now. Wisconsin usually is a top 10 unit. They're not in the top 10 this year. Um, but those other three are top 10. And Iowa is obviously a top 10 level unit um, as well. So they're they're going to see some of the best defenses in the country down the stretch. And that's what worries you because you know how hard these guys hit. I mean, tomorrow in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's going to get down to 19 degrees in the morning. Um, <laughs> you know, you start taking hits like that in football games. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, that, that's a record low. It, it's been really warm here, but we're breaking a record tomorrow for low. So it was a uh, mad scramble to turn your um, sprinklers <laughs> off today and disconnect your hoses. Because uh, we're getting hit with a hard freeze here in Lincoln, and, that, and that's that's what Big Ten football in November is going to bring, and those hits hurt that much more. Yeah, nobody likes getting hit in the cold and uh, breaking record lows. By the way, here in sunny Florida, we've actually got uh, a, a bit of a, a cold snap coming through tomorrow, Sean. 45 in Tallahassee tomorrow, and uh, 36 the next day. That Arctic that air, I think, is dropping everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of fun. And I love football games like that. I'm not having to tackle anybody. I want to go into that stadium and have the sweatshirt or the sweater on, right? You know, and enjoy the game and the cooler temps. But for players, it's a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, we'll have to monitor uh, just how healthy this Nebraska team is going to be during this stretch. I, I'm wondering, Sean, so was this a game? What did you see on your boards from the fans? Were they angry? Because losses hurt no matter how they happen. But were they were they angry or were they proud of the team for the fight? I mean, this was your significant underdog in this game, and then you you're right there with a chance to win it. You're down 14 at half, if I remember correctly, um, and you rally back. I, I don't know what the perception is because I know for Nebraska, the goal is always going to be back to be a dominant force. But the current situation is that Nebraska is not. So I'm wondering where their heads were at after this. Yeah, game. it's really a divided feel right now. I think if you are for Mickey Joseph to get this job and you think he's the guy, I think there's a lot of people that are encouraged how this team has battled and played. Um, you know, if you're in the camp that, Hey, we need to kind of start over or get a new coach in here. I, I think that those are the people that are saying, Hey, I, I'm not really into this, you know, like we can do better at Nebraska. Um, you know, this is just a temporary thing right now. So I think a lot of it depends. And I know that's something simple when SIP comes on, I want to talk to him about is just, what camp you're in as a fan right now, because it is interesting. You've got a camp of fans that really want Mickey Joseph that think he is the guy he's done a great job. And then you've got a camp of fans that want a whole new direction. And I think it's going to, it's going to ramp up here more depending on how these next few games go for Nebraska. You know, if, if, if they get blown out against Illinois at home, lose to Minnesota, I mean, then I, don't, I think the cries, but if, if somehow Nebraska gets themselves to say five wins going into the Iowa game, and then the Iowa game is to go to a bowl game, it will get pretty interesting at that point. It's always interesting when you're going through a coaching search and you got a guy that's a beloved figure, that's a former player uh, that you know is absolutely diehard Husker all the way across the board. But at the same time, 
I get both sides of this argument. You know, Sean, I could see where if you're a fan, you might want a clean sweep. Somebody mentioned it in the chat. Somebody might say, you know, look, bring somebody of um, a greater stature in here. We're Nebraska. We can do that. The money is in place for for you. The prestige is still there for Nebraska. I just, I think it's interesting. I could see why it would be a divided fan base because I, I would understand wanting to bring in a big name. When you think about, like, you look at Tennessee, perfect example. I mean, Tennessee actually wanted Scott Frost before Jeremy Pruitt, and, right. and before the Shiano thing, and you know they that the UCF coach that played quarterback at Nebraska went to Nebraska. Everyone thought they hit the home run. Well, here UCF strikes out on or Jeremy Pruitt strikes out at Tennessee. Then they go to a UCF coach again at Tennessee. This time they get Josh Heupel after he was once fired by Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, where he played his college football as an offensive coordinator, had to go to Missouri, and now look what he's done at UCF and then now Tennessee. Um, you know, I look at Tennessee, and you know, I think if you're a Nebraska fan, you saw that scene in Knoxville, you have a lot of envy right now because um, that's what it would be like here. It would be just like that. If Nebraska beat an Ohio State or beat a Michigan, um, like we saw in Knoxville this weekend, the goalposts would be down O Street right now, and the party would still be going here on Monday. I mean, um, and you know that's what Nebraska fans want back. Uh, Tennessee fans got it back now, and um, it's great for college football. And hopefully, someday Nebraska can get back to that level. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. I see Sips with us, which is good. It's always good to see you, Sip. I, you know, the truth is, as we welcome you in, good evening. Um, you know, the truth is, though, guys, and we we know from covering college football is there's always a guy that comes along that's doing something pretty special that people get excited about. They tend to, you know, forget if that guy goes on to have some bad seasons that they were propping him up. I'll give you an example. So, you know, Michigan State. Just last year, that's the talk of the town. Michigan State's terrible this year. <laughs> you know, we think about we think about how many guys have had this great season and then turned around and not able to back it up. Now, maybe maybe Josh will, but it certainly helped that Hidden Hooker has been, you know, if not a Heisman winner, he's in the conversation. He's been remarkable. But we'll see if Tennessee continues that. I, I think the other side of that sip is that they're you're never perfect hires are awfully hard to come by short oh, of bringing yeah. Nick Saban in here. You just don't know. Right, Jeff, you're right. It's, it's an incredible, it, it's, it's an incredibly daunting task for an AD. I mean, there's not, okay. You mentioned, Oh, I mean, you mentioned how hard it is. Just think off the top of your head, how many guys, how many schools have struck gold in you know recent years, not that many. You know, right. not just not that many. Mark, you know, Bob Stoops is an example. I I think Ryan Day is an example, but I'm not I'm not sure. It looks like in this league, Harbaugh, I mean, Harbaugh's won 19 of his last 21, but it wasn't easy, right? He about didn't survive. This, you know what it points up, guys? Here's it to me, and this is you know, you only get this sort of wisdom from being an old man, okay? <laughs> um that consistency is largely what determines greatness to me. I mean, you hit on it, Jeff, 
we Heupel's great right now, but how consistent will he be? Tucker didn't hasn't achieved consistency. It's too early to say on Ryan Day. It's the guys who do it over a long period, like Tom Osborne, like Bob Stoops, like the great Nick Saban. That's greatness. That's greatness. Yeah, but and he, pinpointing that greatness, Zip, and saying he's going to be that is well, damn near impossible. It's really because there's some that you think – like Sean will tell you this, there's some that you think are almost automatics. We thought right. we had one here and it, and it couldn't have been further from the truth. I mean, we thought as a fan base and as a media core, this is it. They finally got their guy in Scott Frost and Scott Frost turned out to be basically a disaster. I mean, just, just a, I mean, I hate to say it because I like Scott a lot. I've known him since he was a player, but just a huge disappointment. Okay, maybe that's a kinder way to put it. Sip, you know, we, we talked about this off air, but I feel like now when we're looking at this coaching search, there's almost this fatigue factor now. Mm -hmm. or, um, we're um, over a month into this thing now, and there's over a month probably to go, and we don't really know where it's heading. And, you know, I, I think you're starting to see debates with fans about Mickey Joseph being the coach or not. Um, and then almost a fear factor of who is Treb going to get? Because we are getting to that point where if it's not Mickey Joseph, who is Treb going to get and who wants this job at this point? Yeah, there's also, Sean, there's sort of a reality factor, too, that you have to acknowledge. And that is it would be extremely <clears throat> it would be a disappointing to me. And I think disappointed to a lot of fans if there were a leak. And, and, uh, you know, and the leak was, the leak was, a, was basically hitched to a, a sitting head coach who's in the middle of a very good season because it could derail a season, that sort of thing. Let's say a leak happened that hooked Lance Leipold to the job, to the Nebraska job. Well, does Nebraska really want to be part of derailing Kansas's special season? Now that's some people would say, I know there are people on our message board that would say, who cares? Why, why does that matter? Why does that matter to us? Well, I think it matters in the grand scheme of things. I don't think you want to, I don't think it, it sure wouldn't look good for Trev Alberts for that to happen. And my guess is it would piss Lance Leipold off to the point where he might dismiss Nebraska at that point. Okay. Right. I mean, do you guys, do you guys understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, sure. There was a leak years ago. Remember Gary Patterson? Like it was reported by somebody that Gary Patterson was taking the Kansas state job mm -hmm. and it was like in the middle of the season. And obviously it ended up not being true, but sometimes stuff like that could actually derail the whole thing. Yeah. There's coaches that Jeff, I'm sure you've heard of coaches where that's absolutely the case. If it gets out, then it's a no go. Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Cause it ruins their reputation as well. Right. Um, you know, obviously that's not a one-way street. Uh, that person would have had to have shown interest via their agent even. And mm -hmm. that's usually how this is done anyhow. You know, no, you're not going to talk directly to a sitting head coach. You're going to talk to the agent to find out, engage whether or not there'd be interest. And certainly you'd like to think that that agent wouldn't float it out there unless they, they thought it was aiding their client. But no, I mean, that's it, it, you're right. More often than not, it would derail it. Well, and it, it, it's it only adds to the confusion during the process to begin with. People, it's it's tough when you're going through a coaching search. 
It's almost like the games don't matter. Now you have a guy who's vying for a job right now, so they do matter. If he right. wins them all, if he wins them all, he, he's probably going to be the guy. But we don't think he's going to win them all, and he just lost one, and they played hard, but they just fell again. So your mind as a fan a lot of times is that, okay, this is nice. This season's already not what we had hoped it would be. It's already begun disastrously. I want to get to knowing who the guy is. <laughs> you, know? you know what, Jeff, as you talk, it, it strikes me. And Sean would back this. This is an ex this. I would say this is an extremely unique situation. It's unique, be guys, because Nebraska moved early, which mm -hmm. is not altogether unique. But September 11th is pretty early in any situation, and that's when that's when Trev Alberts fired Frost as Sunday, September 11th. Now, what makes it more unique than many situations is Trev Alberts put into that interim role a former Nebraska quarterback who happens to be pretty charismatic yet is very appealing to much of the fan base is, has a kind of down to earth way about him. Matter of fact, he's proven himself as a recruiter. He's captured our imagination, Jeff. Now that's added a layer of intrigue that you don't find at most places. Well, Usually the interim is not someone who intrigues you to this level? Ed yeah, Orgeron. Yeah. Ed Orgeron was someone that did that, but usually the interim does not capture the fan base's imaginations the way Mickey Joseph has by just going two and two. And but Jeff, here's the deal: I, people think that he can maybe win a couple more, and if he does, then what? You know. So Trev, what I wrote for tomorrow, guys is did Trev fully anticipate what's going on here? Did he did he anticipate the possibility of maybe Mickey backing him into a corner? You know, I, I wonder. I, I wonder if Trev thought this could happen, where the fan base would, would sort of really take to Mickey, which a lot of the fan base has. I don't have a percentage for you but it, but you can i mean man i've been talk. i was on two talk radio shows today and that was the theme of them by the way guys we got a question and a contribution here awfully nice of cole so he gets his question to ask do you guys think that we'll have no true idea of the coach until the announcement happens sean i i think by Monday or Tuesday after the iowa game we'll be at a press conference i mean i, I think that's the ideal timeline Unless it is Mickey Joseph. I think if it is Mickey Joseph, um, it will happen pretty swiftly. I mean, Sip, if they name Mickey Joseph, do you think they would actually have another press conference to name Mickey Joseph, a ceremonial type one? Or would they just say, it's Mickey Joseph, let's get back to work? <laughs> I think, no, I think they'd, they'd have an unveiling. A yeah. I think you, I think it would make, no, Sean, I definitely think. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I just. But if, if don't you do you agree or disagree that the timeline's probably Monday or Tuesday after Iowa? <laughs> yeah, I'd say the latest. <laughs> I think it'll, I, I think okay. it's I think it would move fast. I mean I I mean because of all the time he's had to get it in order. And if it if it would go into the week, if it would go to Wednesday or Thursday, and it were crickets, people would get really nervous. You know, really? I mean, come on, it started. I mean, the search ostensibly started September 11th. I don't think it really started September 11th. And Trev made comments like, look, we're going to take as long as it we have to take. Um, we're going to be very diligent. 
going to talk to a lot of people. So, I mean, if you look back, what I would do if I were a Nebraska fan, I did this today and it's pretty informative. Go back and listen to, I think every so often, if you're a Nebraska fan, it makes sense to go back and listen to a September 11th press conference. It's, it reminds you of the boxes that this new coach has to check. What it told me today is that Mickey does check some of those boxes. Again, that's what I wrote, that if you listen to Trev and what he wants, <laughs> Mickey doesn't check all the boxes, but he checks a few of them. Have you guys, I got to ask you this because I'm curious, and we all know for those of us that work in media, it's a great job and it's an opportunity to kind of, in, in a lot of cases, obviously follow your passion. I'm curious, you hear a lot of things when you work in media as well. <laughs> Has there been any particular name that you don't have to reveal right now, but it would indicate that there has been something going on behind the scenes to perhaps create that buzz. Have you heard anything like that? Or has it just been silence in regards to potential candidates? Sean? Pretty silent, I would say. I mean, I, I just think logical. Lance Leipold is logical. He makes sense. He, he's from nearby. He's got a familiarity with the conference. He's got a familiarity with Nebraska. Um, and he's doing great things at Kansas. So I, I don't even think you need to make contact there. Lance, know, I think Lance knows he's on Nebraska's radar. I think Nebraska knows he's on the radar. I think that's where it's at. I don't think Trev is calling guys directly because that's what the search firm is for. Um, Trev is not going to ever put himself out there and just call up a guy or text a guy, um, you know, because that really leaves your athletic director exposed in those situations. Yeah, what you're dealing with is sources telling you that to watch this coach that there there may have been like you know third part like what you referred right. to jeff is third party type contact there's been a couple that i'm that i'm one in particular that i'm curious about um oh there's two i mean i'd say there's two come on sean i mean we've been here in campbell since last year uh, right now where's campbell at now that he's 0 four in the big 12 where's campbell at yeah where's campbell now that He's five and eight in his last thirteen Big Twelve games. I mean, is it has it, does does he fade off? Um, Arand is a name that I I keep an eye on based just on what I've heard. Nothing nothing too serious, but um, that's I mean, I've heard enough that I believe that he's someone to keep an eye on. Um, but that's it. That's all I I'd say that. Um, I trying to think if there'd be anybody else not really it what again you know what the, you know what's informative about this whole process um and i would say this more to people that aren't in nebraska because it's not really informative to people in nebraska but if you put a uh, a legit candidate in that interim chair good luck i mean it's it, it can create kind of a situation it can create kind of a situation um, and again, I go back to <clears throat> did maybe Trev. This is what Trev envisioned. Maybe he thought, you know what, I'm gonna put Mickey in that chair, and he's gonna prove to everybody else what I believe, and that 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 Mickey can be the coach here. It's possible. Sip. It's possible that Trev thought that. Well, think of the nightmare that Bo Pelini created for Steve Peterson in '03. Um, oh, he put, I mean, he put Bo Pelini in the one game. Now. I know Jim Rhodes is going to join us, and I, I, Jim reported this years ago that it was in Bo's contract that if if the head coach got fired, he would take over the interim head coach job. So 
Um, because I always thought the safer bet would have been just giving the interim job to Turner Gill and, and let Turner kind of coach the bowl game. But by having Bo coach that Alamo Bowl, it created hysteria for Bo to the point where people wanted him back at Nebraska in 2007 or 2008. Well, yeah, and you're talking about 2003, right? Yeah, the 2003 Alamo Bowl. Then he went to Oklahoma. Then he went to um, uh, LSU before he yeah. came back to Nebraska. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bo definitely – in one game, essentially, as the interim captured fans' imagination. You know, there were, I remember people chanting at the Alamo Bowl. Um, yeah, Bo turned, you know, he turned around the defense on a dime in, in 03. Jeff, you don't, you probably don't remember. And I wouldn't expect you to. Hell, I barely remember. But the, in 03, Pelini turned the defense on a dime. I mean, they yeah. got really good. They got really good in 03 on defense. Um, so was that right, Sean? Am I, am I, yeah, I mean, right? he led the country in takeaways, I believe that year. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think it's, I think it's very informative for, for other athletic directors. If I was an athletic director, <clears throat> I would look at Nebraska and learn from this. Cause it's really interesting. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's fun to document. And as a reminder, everybody out there, if you are not signed up yet for Husker Online, you should, because this is only going to get more and more interesting, and it's just $10 for an entire year of Husker Online, the best in the business covering Nebraska football, Nebraska sports, period. And you'll get to hear from them on a daily basis, and we do shows like this every week as well. I see Rosie's in the green room. Let's bring him in. Uh, All right, thanks, Trey, guys. Yeah, good to see you, Sip. Be well. All right. Uh, so that that's the construct now, guys. Sip takes off when I'm on. Is that how it works? Uh, he told he wanted it in his contract that if he, if you're going to keep having Rosie on, I've got to go. Uh, and I, I said, well, listen, we're going to keep having him on. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's my guy. Yeah, yeah. This is, I, I dragged out old Ironsides here, fellas. This is the mic I used to use calling Husker baseball games. So nice. I thought, there is no there is no question that this is now a good time to dust it off and pull down the red felt rope and take out old iron sides just for the Monday rundown live. You called a couple college world series games on I that. Did. I did. Yeah. I call Eddie Gurch home run uh, in the Arizona state game on this microphone and it's still around to talk about it. It's wonderful. A couple of things. Um, Sips right. Uh, in 2003, uh, Bo Pelini did have it written into his contract that he would be named the interim coach under those conditions. Frank never thought it would happen. And to get Bo, it was not easy to get Pelini away from the Packers. He really didn't want the job in the beginning, but Monty Kiffin helped convince him to take the job. That's part of it. Uh, but the defense did turn around in 2003. But what we saw was the beginning of the Bo Pelini-style defense, which was this, give up a lot of yards on the ground. If they don't get them in third and long, it's hard for Nebraska's defense to get off the field. And in that season, 2003, they gave up over 300 yards rushing in the three losses to K-State, Texas, and Missouri. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the takeaway number is right. Uh, but remember, I think they got six interceptions against A&M that year. That helped push up the number a little bit. Uh, and I would also tell you that 
the difference that Bo put in place really actually was not radical. Um, what he did was he put TJ Hollowell at the Sam linebacker spot. He had um, Demario Williams as a will linebacker and Barrett Rude became the Mike linebacker. And he rotated four defensive ends or four defensive linemen, rather Trevor uh, Johnson was one of them. And they just, they just did a better job of executing the scheme. And Bo made it very simple and said, just go hard on every play. And then, of course, they had some pretty good people in the defensive secondary. Josh Bullocks was a pretty good safety. Fabian Washington was an excellent uh, cover guy, bump and run cover guy. Uh, but uh, And they, they were tough against the pass, but they had trouble against the run, as we would later learn, followed Bo around a little bit. But you're right. There was a lot of sentiment for him after that Michigan State game. Remember, he got a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which is the first time that happened against Nebraska since Bob Devaney had been coached. Well, and they're still struggling right now on the ground uh, yeah. to stop, <laughs> stop teams from running. I wanted to get your impression of what we just saw. Sean and I talked about it at the outset of the broadcast. Um, I'm watching more Nebraska football than I ever have, and I'm, I'm locked in now. Every time Nebraska uh, puts uh, total leather, I get excited to watch Nebraska football because I want to see this process, and I want to know and, and obviously be informed for this show. Uh, but I was I was horrified by, A, the number of, of plays Purdue ran and also the fact that uh, Maccabee uh, had nearly 200 yards rushing for an offense that was 103rd nationally in rushing the football coming into the game. Uh, that – was troubling the fight from Nebraska admirable off the cap, but it is a loss and it's largely a loss because couldn't get stops. Well, it's not only a large cause we couldn't get a loss cause we couldn't get stops, Jeff. It's a loss because we couldn't run the football. Uh, and that gave Purdue an awful lot more opportunities yeah. to put the ball in play. And we forget that a big part of a great defense is your offense and the ability to chew up time, especially in this conference. And you take away the 60 yard run by Trey Palmer. Nebraska has, what, about 62 yards rushing in that game? Uh, and for Anthony Grant, who I believe pound for pound is as good a back in this league, he's demonstrated it. He's as good as Mo Ibrahim. He's as good as Chad Brown. For him to only get 11 carries in that game is sad. And I know how Mickey explained it, and I, I agree with him. You know, sometimes you got to chase points. But one of the reasons Nebraska had to chase points is because they kept giving the ball back to Purdue. And this is just really, I think, infuriating to a lot of Husker fans and a lot of fans who've been watching the Big Ten. you got to run the football in this league. And even Purdue ran the football in this game. And as you point out, Jeff, they were not a running team. And Devin Maccabee was third team two weeks ago. He's a walk-on. His best offer out of high school was Navy. And this guy looked like Rick Burns against Oklahoma. I mean, look, in fact, that's exactly the, the analogy that I drew. I thought he looked like a modern-day Rick Burns. And for the old-timers here on the show, they're going to remember Rick Burns as a slasher who went looking for contact. Mm -hmm. He was good for about seven yards, seven, eight yards. He usually took out two guys in the process. His running style is the same. But it worked for us when Rick Burns was at the top of the eye, and it worked for Purdue with Devin Mockaby at the top of the eye. Jim, I want to ask you about Trey Palmer. I mean, I consider you as much of a historian as anybody in Nebraska football. What how do you kind of equate the Palmer game, the numbers, what you saw? Because that record may stand for 100 years. I mean, the game he put up, I don't know if we'll ever see a wide receiver have nearly 300 yards of scrimmage yards in one game. 
He has the best vertical speed since Irving Fryer in this program. Uh, nobody has had that kind of vertical speed here. Uh, a lot of great receivers have. Uh, Steve Breston certainly did, the great, bat, the great receiver from Michigan. But I haven't seen vertical speed like that since Fryer. So a tip of the cap to Mark Whipple saying, look, let's just get him the ball and see what happens. <laughs> let's just have Casey Thompson throw it as far down the field as he can, and let's see if Palmer can run underneath it. So it was Christmas morning for Trey Palmer and West Lafayette because they didn't have anybody who could run with him. I have a feeling that the rest of this season, there's going to be one or two guys who can run with him. Illinois has one or two guys who can run with him. Michigan certainly does. This is a, you pointed up on KFAB this morning, Sean. Iowa is very difficult to throw over the top. So I hope he enjoyed it. He's probably going to get covered the rest of this season, but he is a special athlete. Uh, and you can't coach speed now. And he really put on the burners against Purdue. And it looked great. And I hope, what I hope, and I believe this will happen over the next couple of weeks, they'll put in a couple of more packages for him, you know, on jet sweeps, on bubble screens, something to get him the ball in space because he's good for eight yards, period. It takes eight yards just to catch up to him. 297 total yards is insane to think about it, but Again, seven catches, 237 is hard to think about, too. I Usually you'd see that. You'd see 12 catches, 14 catches, but seven catches for 237 is is pretty frightening. We were we were banting about uh, this this coaching search. It's a weekly topic, obviously has to be. Uh, and, and so, Rosie, I'm wondering real quick, uh, I don't know how much of that you got to hear, if any, um, but uh, your thoughts on where this is headed, and and um, and obviously we've got some real tough games coming up, coming out of this bye, so that will help dictate some of the conversation. Well, this will be a weekly feature on the um, on the Monday rundown, and that is Rosie's coaching derby. I don't know if you can read it. <laughs> up and down, I see arrows. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you got Lance Leipold. He said the trend is is the trend your friend. This is the question that Husker Nation has to ask of the coaching search every week. So you're going to Rosie's coaching derby. Lance Leipold, he's trending up. He had the second-string quarterback out there. His top two defensive players were on the bench. They yeah. still scored 42 against Oklahoma. And if Bean doesn't throw two stupid interceptions, that thing is a one-score game all right. the way through. Uh, I've always believed that Troy Calhoun is a dark horse candidate for this job. I think Troy Calhoun checks a lot of boxes for Trev Alberts. Now, the problem with, Tre with Troy Calhoun is that he's – He's got an NCAA recruiting violations investigation going on in his program. They had too many guys making visits during COVID. I don't know how much the head coach knew, but he's responsible for the staff. That might affect him. Dave Aranda's on the downswing, back-to-back -back losses. West Virginia, that's a bad loss. They play KU this week. That could be a Husker coaching derby game. Now, this is another name people aren't talking about, and that's Kyle Whittingham, clearly on the up after the win over USC. I don't know. If he has any interest in leaving Utah, he's been there forever. But with the demise of the Pac-12 conference and the fact that Utah is not a national program, he's good enough to coach in a Power Five. And why not Nebraska for Kyle Whittingham? And then you got your B-list guys. Mickey, obviously, he's on the rise. Mickey is winning friends. Mickey is winning followers. And Bill O'Brien is a candidate for this. And this is why I believe Bill O'Brien is a candidate. What Trev is looking for, in my opinion, is a CEO. He's not looking for a ball coach. He's looking for a CEO. He believes that in the year 2022, your head coach has to be like Nick Saban. You can't have a coach who's in there showing the guys how to block, showing the guys how to tackle, showing the guys how to catch passes. 
You need a guy who has a broad agenda, who surrounds himself with very highly paid and accomplished assistants, and they do the coaching. Uh, it is legendary in Alabama that Nick Saban has three meetings a day with his assistant coaches, with his support staff, and with anybody else who touches the program. And he's got an agenda for all of them. And then he makes recruiting calls, and then he goes to practice, and he stands up in that tower like Bear Bryant and watches things and makes notes, and after practice goes back and says, ah, ah, ah. Now, if something is getting goofed up, he'll immediately get on the blowhorn and say, do that again. But this is a guy who has become the true master as a chief executive officer of, of a college football team. And the results are indisputable. This is what Trev wants because Trev believes the Nebraska football program should be run like a Fortune 500 company. In three years, it's going to be a $120 million enterprise on its own. You can't have a guy as the head coach in there messing around with the players. Sure, you want to build a relationship. Sure, it has to be trusting. Sure, they have to want to fight for him. But what he really wants is a guy who's a CEO. And of all of the candidates, I believe that Bill O'Brien checks that box. He was the general manager of the Houston Texans. It didn't go well, but he still was in charge of player personnel, and he was running the organization. I think he learned you probably don't want to be a CEO, GM, and the head coach at the NFL level. Yeah. But look, that's an invaluable experience. What I don't know about Bill O'Brien, and maybe he's not telling everybody is, does he want to go back to the NFL? And if the answer is yes, then you got to get that out of him. And if the answer is I'm looking for the next NFL gig, he's not a fit for Nebraska. But Troy Calhoun follows in that category. Lance Leipold definitely falls into that category. So one of the questions about Mickey, and I think he's doing anything and everything that an interim coach can do. He's got the kids playing hard. The kids believe. The kids still screw up a lot. What do we miss? 18 tackles on Saturday night. They still they still don't do a lot of things well, technically, but the kids really believe and they're playing better at the end of games than they do at the beginning of games. The special teams are vastly improved. There's a limited amount of things that an interim coach can do, but I think Mickey's doing everything he can. The question is, is he a CEO or is he always going to be a ball coach? And if he's always going to be a ball coach, which is not a bad thing, not a bad thing at all, he's not a head coach at Nebraska right now. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Jim, we've got a question in the super chat from CB. Um, wants to know about Chris Peterson. And I want to throw two more in there for you. You didn't have Matt Campbell on Rosie's Derby. And is Luke Fickle just a Derby long shot, not even <laughs> worth putting on the on the odds board? Luke Fickle is going to be on Rosie's coaching Derby board next week uh, because I kind of want to get a little bit more of an idea of, of from people that I know or the, the impression that I get of following Luke Fickle of just how interested he is in leaving Cincinnati. It's become pretty clear that Matt Campbell really likes Iowa State. Doesn't mean he'll leave, but he has made it clear to insiders and outsiders, I really like it here. My wife and family really likes it here. They've given me every opportunity to be successful. And the Big 12, starting in 2024, is going to get a lot easier to win. Oklahoma and Texas are out of it. Now, I don't know what will be left of the Big 12, but they're in contract negotiations 
for a TV deal with Fox and ESPN now. So they're going to have something. Big 12 isn't going away. Pac-12 may go away. But uh, Matt Campbell, by every indication, likes it there a lot. And it's not about money. He's not going to leave for the money. They'll pay him whatever somebody offers him. So that's a part of it. And it may be the same case with Luke Fickle, fellas. You know, he's got a good situation there. He's from Ohio. He may be waiting for the opportunity to go back to Ohio State. He had a shot to go to Michigan State a couple of years ago, opted against it. Uh, I think he's a great fit for Nebraska on a number of levels, and his buyout is only $5 million, not that that matters. But uh, I don't know why he isn't on a list, but he may be on the list of Rosie's coaching derby next week. I think he's done a great job there. Matt Rule came up in the chat again. Um, is he going to make your list? <laughs> no, he's not going to make the list because he's uh, he's got $64 million coming his way. That would be mitigated by yeah. the opportunity to go into college. Uh, I think I think he may be hoping that James Franklin goes to the NFL, and then he's a natural for Penn State. He'd walk on mm-hmm. linebacker there. So I think he's going to sit around, wait, probably do some TV, just enjoy – $64 million. Goodness knows I'd find ways to enjoy $64 million. Steve Sippel and Sean Callahan would run wild with $64 million. So Matt Rule is probably waiting for Penn State. He probably wants to get back into the Big Ten and where else but Penn State. I always, I always mention that the uh, day a coach gets fired can be a glorious day. It's the day he gets hired and the day he gets fired that you can call it a kiss my butt on Main Street moment when they owe you $64 million, huh? Yeah, I'd find a way to be happy or at least search for happiness with that $64 million. I can tell you that. Give me a shot. Just give me one chance to enjoy $64 million and I'll find a way. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I do believe this. I think that, and you guys had it right earlier in the show, uh, this is now narrowing down. The winnowing process is getting us to two or three A-list guys and two or three B-list guys. I think Mickey is on the B-list. Doesn't mean he can't get to the A-list. I think he's on the B-list right now because I think Trev really wants an established head coach if he can get the guy he wants. And Bill O'Brien is an established head coach. People forget the dumpster fire that he inherited in State College. They lost 47 scholarship players in one month after that that NCAA beatdown. They lost scholarship recruits, they lost established scholarship players, and they lost a bowl game. And yet they had winning seasons. He was Big Ten Coach of the Year, and they should have beaten Nebraska. Remember, there's a couple of bad calls on the goal line when they played here in Lincoln in 2012, mm-hmm. and he had that game won. Uh, remember that big fullback, Zinna Zane? I can't remember his name, but he just rumbled up the field on Bo's, you know, too high safety look and went down the field on it. But the bottom line is this guy – is a head coach. He's a former head coach. So he's not a classic assistant in this way. Uh, And Mickey's going up against a lot of negative history. Interim coaches rarely get the job. And other than Dabo Sweeney, Lloyd Carr, and Philip Fulmer, name me an interim coach who went on to meet expectations. Maybe mm, Galen Hall for a little while. Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl at USC but then he got run out of there. But other than those three, most interim coaches don't meet expectations. They just don't get gigs. 
Yeah, and, and that's true uh, time and again, because there's a lot of difference between being an interim head coach and, say, being an OC or a head coach and waiting as it used to be known. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher was that at Florida State and won a national championship. But being an interim coach is a very different thing. You're right. There aren't a lot of great examples where the interim coach was able to, A, get the job, and then, B, excel for years to come afterwards. It doesn't. It, it's very rare. And there's a, there is a reason for that, too, fellas, and that is this. Most interim coaches don't really have any connection to the program, and they've been there for a while. Yeah, Mickey does not fall into that category. The stink of this program does not stick to Mickey Joseph. He got here in January. So all of the recruiting promises, all the bad work habits, all the negative culture, that's not on him. And he does have a connection to the program, having been a former Husker. So in that sense, he really isn't in the same place as most interim coaches which are guys that have been a part of a failed regime. And that's also the reason they don't get the job. Well, I, I think for Mickey, there's a couple of things to watch too. What happens if his name or his agent starts putting his name out there that, you know, Colorado is interested in Mickey Joseph. That's maybe the next chess move here. I think to kind of get some pressure on Trev about Mickey, um, you know, and if, if you're Mickey, I think his case is like, look, I brought Trey Palmer here. I was a huge part of bringing Casey Thompson here because my relationship with Charles, mm -hmm. I got Marcus Washington here. Mm -hmm. A lot of the good that's helped this team, he brought with him. And my guess is his brother, Vance Joseph, the current D coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals, he would potentially be in play to be Mickey's defensive coordinator. And Bill Bush could slide back over to special teams or a different you know, leadership role on the staff. Um, so I think Mickey's got a lot of bullet points that he could show Trev. And if somebody knocks on his door, kicks his tires, it will get really interesting. No doubt. Uh, and that's a play. And you know something, Sean? If I'm Colorado, I'm coming after Mickey Joseph. Okay? There is a limited pool of candidates for that job. It is not a great job. It really isn't. It's they, a $3 million tops a year job. Yeah, right? it's just they have no fans. They have no media presence. They don't. They have. They have no real presence in the state of Colorado. Most Colorado kids go to Northern or CSU because it's so expensive and the academic requirements are so high at Boulder. Most of those kids are from California and Texas and all of that. Uh, I would go hard for Mickey Joseph, and Vance can probably help open a door or two because of his relationship with the Broncos in the NFL. But Trev Alberts knows what he wants. He knows what he needs. He knows exactly what he's looking for, and he's willing to say goodbye to Mickey Joseph if Mickey has a head coach position where there are different priorities. There is no doubt that at the top of his Christmas list, please, Santa Claus, keep Mickey Joseph here. Please let me convince, if he doesn't get the job as head coach, let me convince the new coach to keep Mickey. That would be perfect, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Let's say it is Lance Leipold. Or let's say it is Bill O'Brien. If he went looking for a staff and Mickey was still at LSU, he'd call Mickey Joseph and try to get him here. So if that is the construct, and I believe it is, then why wouldn't a head coach offer Mickey the opportunity to be associate head coach, maybe offensive coordinator or something, whatever? I don't know. But if he were on the open market or if he was somewhere else as an assistant, they'd come after Mickey Joseph to come to Nebraska and be a part of the new staff. If he doesn't get this job, would he want to stay? He's indicated as much. Uh, you know, Sean, okay. remember that first remark after that first that first buy? You know, when he went out recruiting, he said, we are here to not recruit 
to me, but to recruit to the University of Nebraska. I think he's open to it. Probably depends on other opportunities. He's yeah, going to get other opportunities. Head job to get him out of here, obviously. Um, but if he stays, I would hope his his pay would be increased. He's at oh, six hundred. Yeah. I think if to get him to stay on, you'd be in the eight hundreds where he he's Vince Marrow non coordinator pay. Vince Marrow's <laughs> a million as a non coordinator. Wow. I think Vince, Vince high, highest paid non coordinator in football. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Vince. Love Vince. Well, we to, yeah, we're going to have to rekindle that friendship. Um, <laughs> Vince, 800 G's. Good. 800 oh, big million. ones. I think Vince is a million. A million. Oh, wow. Boy, Vince doing 800 million. Eight, a million. 800,000 to a million. Good for him. Uh, well, I, yeah, Mickey's, Mickey's going get to get a raise regardless of what happens. Oh, absolutely. Okay, uh, Vince Merrill, 1.1 million. He's one. Wow. Point. He's he getting more expensive by the minute. Yeah, we do a show for another forty-five minutes. We'll be at two million. So, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you this, uh, Jim. We didn't get a chance earlier, and I just realized how fast the time has gone. I want to ask you before we go: Do you think anything will? Uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to word this. I, I asked the guys before you came on: Were they hearing whispers? Was there anything out there in the system that you know of a name of a guy? Moreover, I was kind of curious of, of the timeline as to when we think uh, the announcement would be made. Would it be, Sean contends, it would be merely seconds after the Iowa game, basically? Uh, if it's Mickey, I think it'll be before the Iowa game. Uh, I think the decision will be made probably a week or so before the Iowa game. An offer will be made. Uh, the individual have 24 hours to accept it, uh, and agreements will be then signed and finished. Uh, a, a, a high level of secrecy. I mean, we're talking missiles of October secrecy will be in place uh, and so that it doesn't wreck the situation where the coach is so he can share it with his team. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you'll just go down the list. The A guy, and this is what will happen. These guys have all been pre-vetted their interest level. There's a certain amount of trust that you have to put in very insincere people, agents, but uh, the guy will be identified. Number one will be identified. Then number two, they'll have 24, they'll have less than 24 hours to say yes. And then they'll move on uh, to the next guy. Uh, yeah, but sure. if it's Mickey, I think it'll be before the Iowa game. But then the, the public announcement, Jim, would you think the Iowa game's Friday? You think Saturday, Sunday? Yes, Saturday, Sunday. might be coaching Saturday. So Sunday yeah. announcement, Sunday. Yeah. Monday press conference. I believe that, uh, yes, If it, let's say it's a coach who's coaching that Saturday. Uh, the decision will be made. He'll have a chance to tell his guys uh, after their game. Uh, he'll come to Lincoln uh, on Sunday for either some sort of uh, informal get-together with important people, and I'm sure Sean Callahan and Jeff Cameron will be on that list of important <laughs> people. I will be left out again, but um, <laughs> I believe that's what will happen, and you'll have a news conference on Monday. And we'll have an emergency Monday rundown 
uh, here and uh, we'll have a chance to comment on it. And uh, we will we will either be celebrating or crying or something in between. It'll be fun. Uh, I look forward to it. Uh, Sean, you want to add anything else? We got about three minutes here. I didn't know if you had any more questions for Rosie or should we wrap on that note? I, I think we've covered a lot of ground, guys. I mean, it, we've kind of hit, I, I joked with Sip, we're kind of in coaching search fatigue right now. Sure, I mean, yeah. We, you know, we you don't know what's going to be Mickey. Mickey's shown a, some bright spots. And on the other end, we don't know who it's going to be. So um, no better time to get on Husker Online um, because everyone's kind of talking about it. They don't really know where this is heading. And um, I, I think there's a, the fear of the unknown right now as we uh, get into late October. On the one hand, you get tired of talking about it. On the other hand, it's really the thing to talk about because yeah, it's of it vital is. importance. So what yeah. are you going to do? Ignore the elephant in the room? I mean, you, you got to talk about, it. hey, guys, these five games, you come out of the bye. This will this will give us the answer on Mickey Joseph, period. You're looking, I mean, at, you're looking at two games, Minnesota and Wisconsin, that are likely wins now. Minnesota's offense has died. Wisconsin just doesn't have anything. Michigan, Illinois are going to be tough to beat at this point. Illinois is surging, and they're real. I mean, he's turned those Lovey Smith, Florida guys into players. Brett Bielema has, and nobody is surprised. That's what Brett Bielema has done his whole, whole career, which puts the Iowa game in the win, go to a bowl, lose, stay home again class. Uh, it's very exciting. It's very intriguing. And uh, you're right. This is what people are talking about. But, but I, again, have I have no – I have no inside information about who this is. I'm just speculating based on my experience, as we all are. So my view is no more valid or invalid than the next guy. But I do believe that Trev has a very specific list of criteria that must be checked or a guy doesn't get an offer. And Mickey is a candidate. There's no question about it. He's coached his way into this conversation. And if he can pull off a win over Illinois, uh, now you've got serious momentum. And it's not just fan talk it's he's done th things that very few people thought he could do so let's see how that game goes it'll be hard yeah. though it'll it, be real it, hard. it will be especially since you can't stop the run <laughs> and their their defense is i don't know if you guys saw any of that minnesota game i did their yeah. defense will strike you i mean they've got some guys <laughs> that are big and fast and strong uh, and they're playing well as a team it, they're, they're 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 a good big 10 football team right now Sean, Jim's great as always, guys, and uh, I always enjoy our Monday conversations. I want to invite everybody to come back next Monday. We'll be probably – are we doing it again next Monday, Sean, or is it the week? Yeah, we're, we're on the 24th. I think we're going to figure out a plan for Halloween because okay. Rosie's yeah. got to handle all the trick-or-treaters out at his yeah. yeah, Yeah, well, and like I said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to roll into Rosie's if, is the trend your friend coaching derby. For your input, Trey, which Trey and Graphics is going to get on this, and and we're yeah. going to yeah, uh, he's in. put yeah. a little lipstick on on the Derby board. Yeah, and, yeah. And well, give you know, a this, nice graphic. Yeah, I got to come up with some new graphics, uh, but this is my attempt at being Carl Rove right here. Uh, this <laughs> I is want every three. <laughs> I want three new candidates each week. You're gonna, <laughs> you, well, we'll, you, big boy, you got it. We'll get you. Uh, we'll make this look right, Rosie, and it will. You, you, this will be a thing. So I'm looking forward to the, the rosy board. All right, when so we go cool. high def, when we go yeah. high def, that's when people are going to say, "Jimbo, stay on the radio, bro. Come on, man. I like this. Help us it's out. It's going to be great. When the list gets Fellas long enough, if you're, doing three, if you're doing three a week, Jim, it's going to the list is going to get so long. At some point, I have a feeling I'm going to be look at that list and go, "That guy's dead. He's yeah. not. He can't be on the list. He's not even alive." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, well, Jim, I, it's been real. 
It's important for you guys to keep that information to yourself because if you if you let it out that I got dead guys on the list, that it ruins the whole bit. Okay. Have a good one, fellas. We'll see you next Monday night. Be good, guys. Be good. Uh, Trey, good job producing tonight as always. And to all of you who watched, we appreciate you. Thanks, those of you in the chat asking questions and talking with amongst each other. We're here every week. Uh, it's the Monday Rundown. Uh, Husker Online. Sign up today. It's just $10, guys, for the entire year. We'll be here all season long. We're going to find out who that head coach is. Sean, be good, man. It's great to talk to you as always, buddy. Thanks, Jeff. All right, take care.